This will likely not come as a shock to many of you. Obviously no surprise, but the truth is Jesus loved people. That's right. Jesus loved people. And his ministry, if nothing else, was a ministry of love. And Jesus loved people in lots of different ways. Uh, you, you know, obviously, if you're a believer, how Jesus has loved you. But Jesus loved people in lots of ways, like the way he spoke to them, the way he treated those. He didn't have to treat a particular way. He welcomed the outsider. He loved people and even how he would talk to them to correct their way of wrong thinking, perhaps, about God. And he definitely loved people by showing them how to get to God, how to know God as Father. He cared for them, he prayed for them, and then ultimately he laid down his life for them. So in a lot of ways you could say when Jesus came to earth, he introduced the world to a new way to love. He showed what the love of God in the flesh would look like. And in our passage today, when we consider the radical love of Jesus, we see something also here that is radical, in that Jesus says, love like I have loved you. Love others like I have loved you. Now that is a call to have a ministry like his. In fact, I would kind of like try to sneak it in there by saying this. This isn't like, hey, have a ministry like Jesus, but more as Jesus was having a ministry of love in the flesh right here, and he still is continuing his ministry of love from heaven through his church. So Jesus is loving the world through us, and so when he says, love like I have loved you, that is quite the command. So let us now read together John 15, verses 9 through 17. And uh, if you are wanting to read along in your pew Bible, it is page 902. But it is John chapter 15. We'll read 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will, live, so that you will love one another. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that now you would help us to hear your word to internalize it and apply it to our hearts and to our lives, that we might be like you and live lives glorifying unto you. Amen. Now, the Bible is full of lots of commands, and as I consider this one here, this idea of love one another as I have loved you, I kind of thought, like, this, this week I was thinking, this might be one of the hardest commands God has ever asked us to do. If this was a coat, I would say it doesn't feel like it fits right, because... I just don't like the way that it fits because this is actually very, very hard to do. It's very difficult to love someone like Jesus loved. Now, if we're going to attempt that, then the first question then has to be what? It's, well, how did Jesus love people? Well, we have a whole Bible about how God loves people, specifically how Jesus loves people. So we're going to have to narrow it down to to fit it in this short little time. So you'll see even in your, your bulletin, there is an outline that talks about 
this, this ministry of love of Jesus. And it's three P's, presence, proclamation, and prayer. This is purposeful alliteration. This idea is like when we walk out of here, what does it mean to love others? Well, we would think presence, proclamation, and prayer. So that being said, let's just jump right into one of these three ways that we are to love people the way Jesus did. And that is first in the ministry of presence. Now, this is not commonly talked about when we think about the ministry of Jesus. But I think it's important to say right off the bat that God has been loving us with his presence since the beginning of time. I don't know if you realize that. From the beginning, God has been loving us with his presence. Think about Adam and Eve. Where was God? Where were they? They were in his presence in the garden. When we had fallen away and the people of God were wandering in the wilderness, God gave us his presence in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. And then when they were taking the land of Canaan and they were afraid they were going alone, God went with them. Then God made a home in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And then God gave us his presence in an ultimate expression when he became the word incarnate and took on flesh and came to earth. God has always been giving us his presence. And it's always for our good. And that is why he came and took on flesh this time to meet our ultimate need. Now, if you look at John chapter 15, almost all of this has to do with the fact that he is present or he is incarnate. You look at verse 9. He says, As the Father loved me, like for all eternity, in perfect fellowship, I have loved you. And he did this in person with them. And in verse 9 also, he invites them to abide with him, to be in relationship to him, to be near him, in his presence. Verse 11, he says that he had spoken many things to them. Well, in a day of no cell phones, no emails, nothing, the way you speak to someone is you speak to them. Literally, shoulder to shoulder, life on life, Jesus spoke to them. They were in his presence. And then verse 14 is really great. Jesus calls them friends. He speaks of a relationship and a closeness that he has with them. This takes presence. It takes being in fellowship with them. And think about all the ways Jesus was present. He was with them day and night. Walked around with them. He answered their questions. He listened to their troubles. He stuck by, stuck by them when they, they didn't deserve it. And then if you know anything about the Gospels, if you just fast forward three chapters in this story, we see the ultimate expression of Jesus' ministry of presence. It is his presence here on earth in the physical where Jesus was arrested and crucified. And why do you ask? Why does that have to happen? What does that have to do with presence? Well, salvation required the presence of a perfect sacrifice. Jesus couldn't have ultimately loved us in the way of deliverance and salvation without being present, without actually physically taking on human form. And the one other thing is we really would never have seen the love of God in action in human form if Jesus did not come. Now, obviously I'll say many times or most of the time, actually, to love someone takes being present in their lives. If you think about our mere presence, just being there with someone, it speaks volumes. It shows people a lot if you're just there, if you show up. It says, I care about you. It says, I'm for you, or it says, I'm in this with you. Being present or being there for people is necessary if you're ever going to truly love someone. And the reason I say that is because everyone's going to truly have a need for someone to be there for them. 
Because every single human being that's ever existed has had problems. They've had troubles. They have weaknesses. The Bible tells us, tells us this. Every one of us has a need for help. And therefore, we have a need for other people in their presence. I had a good example of this uh, a couple weeks ago in my own home. And uh, it was midnight, maybe 1 o'clock in the morning. And I hear Knox crying. My youngest son, he's four. And I have four children, he's the youngest. And I hear him crying, and I walk into his room, and I see Knox. But then right next to him is John Thomas, my six-year-old son, who has room right next to him. And I walk in there, and John Thomas is sitting there stroking his head and telling him that everything is going to be okay. And he's doing that because Knox was scared, and he was alone, and he was weeping, and he was wanting help. John Thomas doesn't know exactly what to do, but he knew to come to him and to be with him and to try to comfort and soothe him. Now, I say that because Jesus called us to love people like he did. And I'll just tell you right now, there will be a time when other people around you experience their nighttime scare. Uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you, most of us aren't waking up in the night scared. Sometimes that is true. But our nighttime scare maybe looks just a little bit different than my four-year-old son's. The nighttime scare might not happen during the nighttime to begin with. It's probably taking place day by day by day. And it looks a lot worse And sometimes. Maybe it's your scare is that you just lost your job and you have a family to provide for. Maybe your worry or scare is that I'm single and I don't know what God is doing. Or it's that I'm going through a divorce and I don't know what I'm doing. Or maybe your real scare is that my covenant child wants nothing to do with Jesus. And I am powerless. That's, that's real nighttime scares. Those are the times we are weak and needy. And it just keeps going and going. We worry about the future. We feel hopeless. Uh, maybe we lose our spouse or we suffer from depression. Or we have to deal with the fact that we, there's abuse in our background. The list goes on and on and on. And what that should tell you, the need for other people, the need for us to minister the love, the presence, our presence of love to another person, that need goes on and on and on and on as well. Now, if you've ever been alone in a living hell, similar to what I just talked about or something different, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you need people. Uh, this past week, I heard an interesting quote, and uh, I'll read it for us. It says, Next to grace, I bet God thinks making us need each other was one of his best ideas. Besides, next to grace, I bet God thinks making us need each other was one of his best ideas. Now, that quote is speaking to this. It speaks to design. That God has designed it that we need one another. That we need each other in our lives. In the church, God has said that our need for presence, to be loved by the presence of God will be met by one another. The Holy Spirit indwelled other believers who would come alongside of us. In those times, you know what we also don't need? Uh, this ministry of presence. Most of the time, what people don't need in those moments is a sermon or more information or advice. They probably are full up on sermons and information and advice. What they need is someone to sit there with them, to listen to them, to be there for them, we need someone there to come alongside of us. Many times, people just need comfort and support. 
and what we need to do as believers, if we're going to love like Jesus loved, what we really need to do is offer the burden-bearing fellowship that he would offer us if he was here. He would offer his burden-bearing fellowship with us. Now, if I were to do a diagnostic on our spiritual lives in this room right now, there's a lot of things that you could fake me out on. Like, you could just tell me stuff, and I, I wouldn't know. But the ministry of presence can't be faked. You either show up or you don't. You're either there with someone or you're not. I mean, how are you going to have sympathy, empathy, or enter into another's suffering from a distance? In fact, if you've ever had this happen to a person close to you and they were at a distance, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to get on a plane and get near them, right? That, that's what happens. That is the draw for us. The, perhaps the hardest part of my week was coming to this conclusion, though, by the way. Like, the ministry of presence or to love someone just by sheer presence is a choice. It's something you have to do and you have to show up for. I, I did mention this first service. You do know John Thomas was asleep in bed. If you've ever been asleep in bed, parent, you know getting up is not what you want to do. But John Thomas made a choice to get out of his bed, walk into another room, and check on his brother. This takes showing up. This takes an effort. This isn't something we can fake. This isn't something we can throw money at to take care of it. It isn't something we can dismiss. It's not something I can post on Facebook. It actually means showing up. And earlier I said that our, our presence speaks volumes, but the opposite is true as well. Our lack of presence or our lack of hospitality can also send a very subtle and silent message. It isn't one that you would ever say, but it can easily say, I don't care, or I don't see you, or, I don't see you as valuable, or I'm not interested, you're not accepted. And if that's ever happened to you, like someone said that to you, you feel really bad. But the other thing that you feel is like, you understand after that moment. It's like, this is not something we can whiff on. We can't, like, oh, man, I missed it. We have to give much more attention to this. We can't miss out. This could be anybody. It could be your family member, a friend, a co-worker. It could be the person visiting church today, and they would need to see the love of hospitality, your presence. Who knows? If you've ever been in one of those situations we were talking about earlier, or just name your situation, you know that that pain of aloneness in those moments can be devastating. And I think many of us are unaware of how hard that can actually be. For those of you who have suffered in, like, in loneliness, or you've been the outsider or the stranger, you know what I'm talking about. And if, uh, as I thought about that, why does this aloneness, the lack of presence, hurt so much? I, I realize, like, it mirrors one of the essential elements of hell, doesn't it? The utter aloneness, I mean, that marks hell. Utter aloneness with no hope of it getting better. And so, as I thought about that, I also thought, well, one of the marks of being with the Lord and in heaven is ultimate community. Perfect presence. Being with God and other believers. As believers, even as human beings, uh, I don't know if you ever noticed this, we can almost endure anything if someone else is with us. But if we're alone, it becomes much, much more difficult. So just imagine how much your, your presence could matter. As you think about that, you have to ask a question like, so what do I do? Well, I think I personally need to take a lesson from my son. I need to make the choice to stop and go towards someone. 
It's just that simple sometimes. It means I need to be available. I need to be watching. Because most people don't broadcast their needs. They don't show you that they're hurting. So we need to listen. We need to be ready, ready to sacrifice. Um, That's what John Thomas did that night. He was in his warm bed with the blessing of sleep, and he heard his crying brother, and he did what was inconvenient for him. He walked into his brother's room and tried to take care of him. There is a lesson there. The ministry of presence to love someone that way, to be with them, is going to be inconvenient for you. There's just no getting around it. If you want to love someone like this, it's going to be inconvenient for you. It will definitely require you to deny yourself in your comfort. And for some of you, that is enough of a deal breaker. But it is going to require inconvenient things. Like you might have to miss your golf outing or dinner with your friends. It could mess up your routine. I know for some of you, that's untouchable ground, messing up my routine. But we need to be interrupted in our lives. God is probably putting those things in our lives on purpose that we might love other people. And I think because this is true, this is where Jesus comes and helps us. Because the reality is, is the ministry of presence is hard. Uh, Not everyone is easy to love. And not every situation is going to be comfortable. And this is where we look to Jesus who himself was very inconvenienced. He left the throne. He left fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he entered in to be present with us. That's incredibly inspiring. It tells me there's why I should do it, and that I can do it. There's a great example. But if you're anything like me, I see that inspiration, and I know, as much as I hate it, that inspiration is going to fade when it hits or bumps up against the fact that My comfort is at stake. I might make it a good decision once, but to do it over and over again, I don't know. But here's the other way Jesus helps us. It isn't just that he's a good example. It's that he gives us the ability to do it. Because Jesus won every victory that could be won over sin and death. He gives us the ability, even by his spirit, to do this ministry of presence. So that means you can go sit with that person in their pain, listen to them. Show up for that event you have no interest in because it would be encouraging to another person. Make that appointment. Attend that funeral. Go to that house for that visit. Make the hospice visit. Take someone dinner. Invite someone to spend time with you. Make a phone call. Just do it. And if you do so, you might just actually be the human touch that God was intending in someone's life. And if you do that, if you have a thriving ministry of presence, I promise you, if you really want to have a ministry of love like Jesus did, well, that ministry of presence is going to open up every other door for ministry, and for particularly the next one, which is proclamation. Now, you have, you have heard it said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I've heard that, um, and it's because they were telling me that, okay? Uh, but here's the thing. Most people will... Well, let me just give you a translation of what that really means. That we earn the right to speak into people's lives, to proclaim truth, through our ministry of presence. Like, our ministry of presence will buy us someone's ear to speak to them. Now, I'll take it one step further, um, because most of the time when we think about speaking into someone's life or a proclamation of truth, we think about saying hard things, right? We don't think about, man, that's a nice sweater. No, we don't, we don't think that. We think about saying hard things. So let me, let me say this. We earn the right to speak hard truth into people's lives through how or what we say on a regular basis. 
So the way we interact with someone on a regular basis is going to even allow for us to say hard things. Let me say this another. Let me ask you this question: Is if we if we are to proclaim truth to people and speak into their lives, what should be the most common thing that we say? Well, shouldn't it be a, the proclamation of encouragement and building one another, one another up, spurring one another on to love and good deeds? Like that's what we should be doing. Encouragement should be the staple truth proclamation of our lives. Sometimes, I think we forget that. I know that I do. We want to speak into people's lives. We need to start by being a positive part of their lives. It will open the door to even speak hard truths. So our ministry of proclamation is, is kind of like this. It needs to be a combination of love and truth. In fact, I would say you can't love someone without speaking truth to them. But if you only give truth to people and don't love them, all you're doing is dictating or trying to control another person. Love and truth are always necessarily linked. So the proclamation of truth is needed to love someone. Truth comes in many ways to us. And we could sit here and list. I'll give you three. They all start with E. So if you think, like, what does it mean? What is proclamation? I would give you encouragement, exhortation, and evangelism. This is how we speak truth to one another. So let's start with encouragement, I think, which is the most underutilized tool in our Christian tool belt. Uh, And the reason I say that is, first of all, no one hates someone who's an encourager. Like, name the, the super encouraging person you hate. You don't. Because they're encouraging. Because you like them. Because you know that you love them and you love them back. And they mean a lot to you. Because they're there for you. And you know what? That's a person you'll listen to. Uh, When I walked into Knox's room, going back to this illustration, uh, John Thomas just wasn't just standing there stroking his brother's head. What he was doing was he was encouraging him. He was telling him, it's okay. It's safe. Daddy is coming, and he also said, I'm here, buddy. And so he was encouraging him the entire time. He was offering words of comfort, support, and truth that would provide him some sense of security. And this is important, by the way, because we live in a world and we, of, that is infected by sin, and the reality of sin is something that, if we're just honest, it's chewing us up and spitting us out in this cycle week after week after week. And we need encouragement. If you look at John 14, just a chapter over, the disciples of Jesus were worried. Jesus was leaving, and they're worried what is going to happen. And when Jesus sees that worry or hears that worry, he tells them, he encourages them, that he will not leave them alone, but he'll send Holy Spirit to be with them. He says to them, everything is going to be okay. To them, Jesus provided truth for their worry, a promise for their fear, and tells them, to trust them, it's going to be okay. So when we're going through the ringer every day, work, family, our sin struggle, the disappointment that's hit, um, maybe you're the type of person who's asking, do I measure up? I, I mean, I work with young adult men. They ask that question of themselves a lot. Do I measure up? Other people are asking the question, am I accepted? The avenues and doors and footholds for discouragement to come into our lives are numerous. Therefore, the need for encouragement in our lives is rather big. And we kind of need each other to encourage us because we kind of all suffer from quasi-spiritual amnesia because we're forgetful. We forget 
what God says to us. We forget the promises of God. We forget what he says about us and what he's done for us. So we often need other people to come speak that into our lives because we just find ourselves down. So if you really want to love someone, love them with your words. Encourage them with the word of God. And you mean, what does that look like? Well, share with them the promises of God. Share with them the stories of God's faithfulness in the scriptures, in their own life. Remind them of how you see Christ in their life. Let them know that they're loved. Let them know that they're never alone. You know, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tells us to not stop encouraging each other or spurring one another on for a reason. It's because the biblical author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew that there is a universal need for encouragement. That's why the church is given the command to not stop doing this. We all need this. And it doesn't matter who we are. Encouragement itself is a sin provision by God. And what I mean by that is, this is encouragement is a means of God's grace and provision for his people to rescue us from things like despair or loneliness or wandering. And astonishingly enough, encouragement or love like this comes from other Christians. That is the means by which God was going to meet that need in our life. Uh, not just the Holy Spirit, not just the Word of God, but the church in, at large. That is what God has given us. This really is the perfect complement to presence. So be an encourager. Now, I'll say this. Sin just doesn't affect us from the outside, but one of the things that sin does is it gets on the inside. And sin can take root in our hearts, perhaps, or make a home in our life. And other people see that. And as a believer... We should love one another enough to point that out, and that's what exhortation is. It is correction. Now, maybe this is the test of true love, for some of us at least. Some of us have no problem speaking correction into other people's lives. I know. Like, it's certain people have a reputation, right? But the, for others of us, we're, we're like almost paralyzed. I can't speak a hard truth into your life because of what might happen. For instance, like, here's why it might be hard. Because it could cost you relational equity, right? Like, if I say this, you're not going to like me very much. Or it could cost us our friendship. Another reason why this could be hard for us is because if I point out a sin, like, I just might see some sin right over there, they're like, yeah, you know why you recognize it so well, right? Because that is, you're the chief of sinners in that little area, buddy. And so you're like, I don't want to dip my toe into that pool, so I'm just, I'm not going to even open that can, right? Well, those are reasons that it might be hard. But if we love someone, we really do love someone, we won't allow sin just to linger and hurt them. We'll call attention to it. James chapter 5 tells us that if we love someone, we see them wandering from the truth, we are to pursue them to try to win them back. And James says, if we do so, we save their soul from death. Exhortation with the word of God will save someone's soul from death. That is God's design. He has ordained it to be that way. He will use us and the word of God to bring people back into fellowship with him through exhortation. This must be a part of our lives. Now, the last one is evangelism. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. If that's true, the most loving thing that you can possibly do is tell someone about Jesus. Evangelism. 
If that is true, the most loving thing you can do is tell someone about Jesus. That Jesus really did live a perfect life. He died a perfect death and he rose again from the dead on our behalf. And you can know him and have a personal relationship with him through faith and repentance. That must be part of our narrative if we really love someone. I use this illustration. If I am friends with someone we're kayaking down a river and we've done life together, um, the, the illustration's really cheesy. We went through the rapids of life together. You know, we've been through the struggles. I love them. They love me. We talk. We care about each other. And the, the river's taking a super hard left-hand bend. And I know that around that bend is a huge Niagara-sized waterfall so I'm obviously going to get out of the river. I peel off to the right, and I just wave at my friend. I don't want to speak into his. I don't want to tell him what to do. You know, I don't want to ruin my relationship with him. So I just let them go right around the river, fall off the edge, and die. Do I love that person if I'm willing to just let them go? No. I'm, I'm just going to ask you to allow me to ask you a hard question. Do you love those around you that you interact with on a daily basis? Or do you love the peace that you get by never making Jesus a topic of conversation? Because a lot of times, I think we're like that illustration. I'm glad to do life with you, but I'm never telling you about the waterfall around the bend. But if we really love them, we would bring that up. Now, the last thing. This takes two minutes. It is a ministry of prayer. If you read the Gospels at all, you know that Jesus' ministry was marked by prayer. In fact, in just two chapters, Jesus prays his high priestly prayer, where he, he talks to the Father and he prays for us and he prays for his disciples. And you see, if you read the other parts of the Gospels, it's just a staple of his ministry. He loved people through prayer. He prayed for Peter because he knew he was going to have a struggle. He knew he was going to stumble. He prayed for his enemies. He prayed for the world. Jesus loved everyone through prayer. Now, I want to go back to the story because I think this is the best part of the story that I was telling you earlier about my sons. I never told you how I got to that room to know that Knox was crying. I got to that room because John Thomas, at midnight, 1 o'clock, whatever it was, came down and got me and brought me back up. He went to the Father his father and got him to come help you understand that's the best thing john thomas could have done to help his little brother but you understand that's the best thing the best way that we can love our friends and family and our neighbors and our co-workers is whatever hurt whatever need whether it's salvation or pain the best thing we can do for them is go to our father on their behalf and bring them before him because he is the only one with the power and the authority and the ability to do anything about their need. He's the only one who can truly comfort them. He's the only one who can bring deliverance and salvation. He's the only one with that power and authority. You think about, it, why in the world would I ever go through all the hard work of the ministry of presence and the ministry of proclamation to step out in faith like that and not pray? We do know Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. We can't make humans change. We can't change a heart. But God can. What is the only way we can pull that Holy Spirit divine power into this situation? Is it through prayer? So we have to pray if we really, truly love someone. And I know that that's a struggle. Because if we are honest, prayer is really difficult. 
Now, just, I thought about how do you end this? And I wanted it to be short, and I, I thought this. Um, how are we actually going to do this? By the way, if you're not a believer, this whole sermon is a waste. You need to first love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then you'll have the ability to love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're a believer sitting in here today, what is it going to take to make us do this? Because we know we should pray. I know I should talk to people about Jesus. I know I should be there for people. I've already known that. So what is it going to do? Well, maybe, and I thought, well, the answer is motivation. And maybe you don't need motivation. Maybe you're motivated right now by the power of the Holy Spirit to go do this. But for some of us, we need, we need motivation to go from this over the edge of biblical knowledge into biblical application. And here's, I guess, the close. Go back to the story one more time. I, I talked to Knox. John Thomas is in the room with me. I talked to Knox. I put Knox down. I tuck him in. And I walk out, and I'm taking John Thomas to his room and putting him in bed. And you know what I did? I told him I was proud of him. I was proud of the way he served and loved his brother. God loves it when we enter in and do the ministry he is already doing. He, it glorifies him. It puts a smile on his face. We get to do here on heaven, in, in, in the world here, what he wants to do be done in heaven, just like he says in the Lord's Prayer. God loves it when we do what he does, and it puts a smile on his face. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make us men and women who love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourself. Help us that we might be those who are willing to give our time to be present, who are willing to step out in faith to proclaim the truth, and that we would be those who sacrifice to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.